Well, good morning, Haven Baptists. How are you? Good. I'm Brian Faru. I'm a member, um, ordained minister of the gospel at Providence Baptist Church. So greetings from the saints at Providence. I understand that uh, another Brian from Providence has been here recently, so it's easy to remember me. I'm Brian, he's Brian. And it is a joy to be here with you this morning. I want to thank uh, Pastor Steve uh, for inviting me to fill his pulpit. Um, I'm honored that he would consider me, and I hope that my prayer this morning is that God would use me as a tool to uh, support his ministry here and to to encourage you in the faith and to bring himself much glory. It's funny, uh, I met Pastor Steve actually uh, randomly at Jimmy John's one day. Uh, I had a Southern Seminary t-shirt on and I was just sitting there eating my sandwich and he comes up to me and he says, are you a student at Southern or were you? And I said, yeah, I'm a student there. And he, we kind of got to talking, and I was attending Providence at the time, and he, was, uh, he said, I know all the guys at Providence, and we're, we're good friends. And so that was about three years ago, I guess, but it's been a joy to get to know Steve, see him every once in a while, and um, to uh, just the way that God works providentially is amazing. So my goal this morning with you and with my sermon, is really to support and supplement what Pastor Steve has been doing. Uh, whenever, I, whenever I preach for somebody else, whenever I fill somebody else's pulpit, I do my best to try to support and, and bolster what the pastor has been doing there uh, over the course of the last few weeks. And, and last week's sermon was about Finding your rest in Jesus Christ. It was from Matthew 11, verses 29 and 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so I want to this morning, in, in the spirit of supplementing and, and uh, supporting Pastor Steve in his message last week, I want to take a look, I want to further take a look at this theme of rest in the scriptures. And more specifically, I want to look at how God, even before Christ came, had been preparing his people for an everlasting rest. We're going to be looking at the foundations of rest that we have in God through Christ. The foundations of rest. So before we start that, I want to, I want to kind of give a definition of what rest is. So rest, fundamentally, is the state of freedom from activity, conflict, or toil. Let me repeat that. Fundamentally, rest is the state of freedom from activity, conflict, or turmoil. And this definition has many implications. It it flushes itself out in many ways Specifically in the scriptures, sometimes rest is spoken of as a physical thing, where there's no motion, no activity, no action. Sometimes it's spoken of as military peace, which is what we'll see today in, in Joshua. Sometimes rest refers to sleep, 
or sometimes it is referred to, uh, death is referred to as rest. Sometimes rest used in the scripture has emotional connotations, like freedom from anxiety or worry and insecurity. Sometimes, closely related, rest has more of a mental aspect, a tranquility of mind, a freedom from nuisances or annoyances. And then, probably most importantly, rest has a spiritual meaning. And the rest that, the spiritual rest that the Bible speaks of is this utter dependence upon God. To be done with self-effort as far as salvation is concerned, and to the end, it is the end of trying to please God, of striving to try to earn something before God. That is what spiritual rest is. So how do we find this rest? That's the, that's the great question, right? We can speak about what rest is. We can talk about it all we want, but if it's not a reality for us in our hearts, then it's useless. So how do we find rest? And in order to answer this question, I want to review a story with you. It's a story that most of you are probably familiar with. It's the story of Israel. And I want to go all the way back to Abraham, the father of Israel. Abraham was a man, didn't know the Lord. He was, he was an idolater in a foreign land. And the Lord spoke to him and called him and brought him to a a particular place. And he gave him a promise. The promise that his descendants would be God's chosen people. That his descendants would multiply and be greater than the stars in the sky and the sand on the shore. And he promised Abraham that he would give him a son to get all of that started. And so Abraham had a son, Isaac. And Isaac had his children, Jacob, Esau, and Jacob had his many children, which grew into a large family. And about the time of Jacob was growing old, his sons were getting older, there was a famine in the land that God had brought Abraham to, right? And so they had to leave that land and live in Egypt. And over 400 years living in Egypt, they became enslaved. The burden, the yoke of slavery was placed on their shoulders. They were thrown in chains and whipped. They were made to work. And God's people were treated cruelly. And then Moses rises up, right? God calls Moses. Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell him, set my people free. And after lots of back and forth and ten plagues pharaoh finally gets the message and lets god's people go and so they leave egypt the great exodus and god's people wander through the desert and they come to the land that was given to their forefather abraham many many years ago and right before they cross in to take back possession of it what do they do become scared and fearful they send in the spies and they come back and say the people there are giants we can't fight them there's nothing we can do 
to take back this land. And so God says, because of your unfaithfulness, you're going to wander a little bit longer, 40 more years in the wilderness. And so after 40 years, Moses is old and dies. And after the death of Moses, God calls on Joshua to lead the Israelites across the Jordan River and take possession of the promised land. And God tells Joshua, I will guarantee victory in all your military campaigns and I vow never to leave you so long as you obey my laws. So through lots of ups and downs, we finally arrive at the end of Joshua's life. And here we arrive at Joshua chapter 23, which is one of our texts this morning. And we read in Joshua 23 verse 1, A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. And so we come to this text and we see that Israel now has rest, right? That's what God says. That's what the text says. When the Lord had given rest to Israel. So I want to take a moment and, and look at this text and see four truths about rest, about where rest comes from, about the foundations of our rest in God from this text. The first truth is this. Rest ultimately comes from the Lord. Look at verse 1 again. It says, A long time afterward, when who, who gives rest to Israel? The Lord. The Lord gives rest. And in verse 3, Joshua says, And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Rest is ultimately found in God. He is the source. He is the foundation of our rest. Only from Him does rest come. So brothers and sisters, if the Lord does not fight for you, you will not find rest. If God is not the source of your rest, it will be a shallow, temporary thing. The second truth is this. It's kind of the other side of the coin. So first, rest ultimately comes from the Lord. Second truth is rest does not come by our efforts. So two sides of the same coin, kind of. Positive, negative. Rest comes from the Lord. It does not come by our efforts. Joshua is very clear that it is the Lord, not the might of Israel, that defeated their enemies. We can read again, verse 3. You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations. Not Israel. It wasn't by Israel's might. It wasn't by their righteousness. It wasn't by anything that they did, ultimately. 
It was God. It was not by their efforts that they have found rest and peace. But at this, at this point, I do feel the need to point out that in the Old Covenant, peace and rest for Israel was a conditional thing. If you read all through Joshua and into Judges, obedience equals peace and rest. Disobedience equals conflict and unrest, right? And the point of this, the point of this, this dynamic in the Old Covenant was to show us that left to ourselves, rest would never be secured. We would never be at rest if it was, all, if it was up to us to secure it. That's the whole story of redemptive history before Christ, is we cannot do it. We need somebody outside of ourselves to work for us, to fight for us. If we continue, if you continued reading on in the story of, of Israel, you would read about the judges. And it's interesting that at the end of Joshua, he says, now you have rest from all your enemies. God has fought for you. He has won the battle. He has won the war. Victory is secured. You're at rest and at peace. And then as soon as you get into judges, what happens? War, strife, conflict, over and over and over again. And then we get to the end of the rule of judges and where kings start rising up and we see Saul. And what is the life of Saul like? War and conflict, even within Israel. You know, the whole mess with Saul trying to kill David because he's jealous of him, because he lost the kingdom. And then we see the life of David and Solomon, the two shining stars of the kings of Israel, the greatest kings, the king of kings, at least in Israel's mind. David and Solomon, who had unprecedented military success and kingdom growth and prosperity. But look at their lives, their personal failures, the unrest in their own lives. David, who is an adulterer and murderer. Solomon, the great man of wisdom, who in all his wisdom decided it would be a good idea to start taking more and more wives and to become influenced by their gods. And then after Solomon, we see the rise of more kings. And what do these kings bring? War and strife and conflict the splitting of the kingdom of Israel. And finally, each, each half of Israel gets conquered and sent into exile. So you see in the Old Covenant where obedience to God equals peace, disobedience equals conflict, that doesn't work. God set that up to show us, to, to make us see you can't do it. If it's up to you to be obedient, to find your rest, then you can't do it. It's not up to us. The progression of redemptive history is meant to show us that we can't do it. God has to work for us. We have to trust in Him. And this is how we get to truth number three. So if God is the source of our rest, and if not by our efforts 
can we achieve lasting, true peace and rest, then it follows that faith alone is how we enter into the rest God secures. If we can't do anything to earn it, if we can't work harder to earn more rest, if it's only by God, then all that we do is put our faith, our hope, our trust in Him. The Israelites finally entered into the promised rest because they believed God when he said, I will fight for you and drive out your enemies. Remember, you back up. What, why is it that, that Israel didn't enter the promised land the first time? They were fearful. They were faithless, right? They saw the people in the land and they forsook their faith in God in favor of their own perceptions, their own fears. Faithlessness was the reason Israel had to stay in the wilderness when they first arrived in Canaan, and faithfulness in God is why they finally got to enter in the first place. And how they ended up at the end victorious. So what is faith? Faith is our response to what we perceive as trustworthy. Our faith is a response to what we perceive as trustworthy. The more trustworthy, the more solid, stable, dependable, unfailing and secure something appears to us, the greater our trust or faith in it will be. And our faith is when our faith is weak, that's an indicator that our focus is on the wrong thing. Look at verse 3 again. Joshua 23, verse 3. Joshua says, And you have seen, you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. You've seen it. You've seen God's might. You've seen His power. You've seen how He fights for you, how He is faithful to you. And so now rest in that. Look at God. Look to Him. Don't look at the people around you. Don't look at your own strength, your own might. Look at God and His faithfulness, His strength. See how trustworthy, how solid, how stable, how dependable, unfailing and secure God is. That's not what Israel did the first time, but it's what they did the second time. The first time they said, they they took their eyes off of who God was and they said, they're too big, we can't do it. Notice what the focus was in that situation. The focus was on the people in the land and on their own strength. They're too big, we can't do it. They never once stopped and thought and considered that God could do it. It took 40 years and the death of a generation for the people of Israel to finally get that God can do it. So put your faith in Him. And the fourth truth from this text is that the faith of Israel under Joshua was meant to point us, was meant to point God's people to the greater Joshua, the one who brings an everlasting and total rest. Verse 1 of 
Joshua 23 says, A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to the people of Israel from all their surrounding enemies, so the, the rest that Israel found in their day, in this day, was, was a, a military peace. It was, a, it was a, an incomplete rest. They had not seen the fullness of peace, of the peace of God. They had seen military peace. They had rest from their enemies. But the greatest enemy had yet to be defeated. The enemy of our soul. The sin that so easily entangles us. The sin that separates us from a good and holy God. You heard last week from Brother Steve of the rest that Jesus Christ provides. This is the rest that Joshua was pointing his people to, that God through Joshua was pointing his people to. And this is the rest that Isaiah ultimately anticipated as well. As, as God's people continue to be moved towards the apex of redemptive history, the cross of Jesus Christ, we have in Isaiah chapter 11 a great anticipation of the rest to be found in Jesus if you'll turn to Isaiah 11, we'll read verses 1 through 10. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill or slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and leopard, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall pour his, put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not destroy hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. I love this text. I love this anticipation that Isaiah provides Because it shows us two things. It shows us the nature of the Messiah, the one who would bring rest, and then the restful results of his sovereign reign. We saw in in verses 1 through 5 that this Messiah, this man, would come from the line of Jesse, the line of David, that the Spirit of the Lord would be upon him, that he would have wisdom and knowledge, he would fear the Lord. And he would judge justly and rightly. And he would be righteous. And he would not 
put up with. He would not embrace wickedness. But he would eradicate it. That is the nature. That is who our Savior is. That is who Jesus Christ is. And the results of his reign are just as glorious. No more conflict. The predator and the prey will coexist peacefully. The dangerous will not harm the fragile. All because the Lord is intimately known. The knowledge of God, the knowledge of His Son, will produce peace and rest. So obviously the world is not this way yet. Wolves don't cuddle with lambs right now. Nor do calves and lions or cows and bears. Children don't play with dangerous snakes without fear or without harm. So what gives? What is Isaiah saying here? If Jesus has already come, if His righteous reign has been established, then why, have not, why haven't we seen this peace, this rest, come to fruition? I like to think of, of what Isaiah is doing, his, his prophetic revelation. So God gives Isaiah a vision, a, a, a revelation of what the Messiah and His reign will be like. And I like to think of these progressive, uh, redemptive revelations as being like a mountain range. So from far away, you look at a mountain range and it looks uniform and flat. You might see some peaks, some jagged peaks, a few of them, but it looks all the same. It looks uniform. They look side by side from far away. But as you come close, as you near the mountain range, you see the depth and the intricacies, the, the peaks and the valleys. You see the, how far apart some of the mountains are. You see how tall they are. You get more detail. And that's the same with what's happening here. Isaiah saw the mountains from afar. But as we get closer, we see Christ has come. His reign has begun. He is righteous. He is wise he is knowledgeable he does strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and he does judge rightly and justly but the results of his reign have not yet come about the consummation of the work of christ is not yet here but know this the current present reign of christ does produce rest. The reign of Christ in your heart right now, by faith, produces the blood-bought freedom from striving to earn something before God and freedom from anxiety about what the world will bring. Right now, you can find rest in Christ. Right now, you can hear the words that Joshua spoke to Israel and know that the greater Joshua is speaking words of rest and peace to you this morning. Because Christ, by His life, death, 
burial, and resurrection has bought for you freedom from striving to earn something before him by striving the freedom of trying of thinking that you have to be good enough of thinking that you have to get all your ducks in a row and your life in order and then God will accept you no Jesus says you who are weary and heavy laden now you don't have to clean your act up and then come to me no if you're weary and heavy laden now come to me and I will give you rest and then in the future the final total reign of Christ will produce the future final total rest in a world where God will wipe away every tear from every eye where death shall be no more and neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain for the former things will have passed away a world where wolves and lambs cuddle and babies play with deadly snakes. A world free from conflict. A world at rest. So, Christian, this morning, brother and sister in Christ, here's my encouragement to you. The Lord has fought for you and won. Your strivings you're thinking you're going to earn something. That's vain. He has fought for you. He has worked for you. See the trustworthiness of Christ and let your faith stand in Him. Be encouraged. Know these things and you will find rest for your weary souls. And for those of you here this morning that may not be trusting in Christ, know this you will never find rest on your own. There may be moments, seasons, long periods of time even, of peacefulness in your life, but it won't last. Your rest will never be complete, comprehensive, or everlasting. In the end, if you reject the offer of Christ, you will be like the Israelites that stood on the cusp of the promised land and are forced to turn back and wander restless for eternity. So look to Jesus. See His trustworthiness. See His solidity. How He worked for you. How He died for you. How He rose for you. And trust in Him this morning. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven we confess to you that we so often strive to do what you have already done Lord we so often work when you have told us be at peace I have won the battle for you Lord help us this morning to look to you to see your trustworthiness, to see your your unfailing faithfulness to us. And may we find rest for our souls. Help us to see the great redemption that you have purchased for us. Help us to see how you have been setting that up 
since the foundations of the world. Help us to see and hear the words of Joshua and Isaiah and know that you are their fulfillment, Jesus. Help us to look to you all the days of our lives and find, find rest for our weary souls. We pray all this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.